0: What's up? And today I am back with lesson two of unit two, and we are on such a good track so far. And I loved seeing that some of you did amazing on the unit one test. It's always a pleasure, and I love grading them and seeing how everyone interprets the lessons differently. So thank you all again for participating. If you did, and today we are starting the study of our first forensic specialty, hair analysis. So to get your gears moving, let me talk about a case study where hair analysis proved to be the key. So. In 1958, yes, a long time ago, the body of a 16-year-old girl was discovered in a gravel pit near her home. And witnesses reported seeing her with her boyfriend before she disappeared. And circumstantial, also called non-physical, evidence linking the boyfriend to her proved the witness accounts. So her boyfriend was with her. When the body was discovered, several strands of hair were found on her hand. And the hair was tested using neutron activation analysis, which is a big test that tests the concentration of substances in the hair. And the hair had a super similar ratio of sulfur to phosphorus to her boyfriend rather than her own hair. And because of this analysis, her boyfriend pled guilty to the murder. So there's a lot to take in here. Could the case have been solved without this hair analysis? There is a lot more to hair analysis than just color and shape, and this shows here. So hair is an example of class evidence without the follicle cells attached. So without the follicle cells, it can't be used to locate a single individual. Then how can it be used in crimes? In the best case, an investigator can identify a group of people who share similar traits who might share a certain type of hair. For example, if you have curly dark hair, you're probably not going to be considered if the hair at the scene was blonde and straight, of course, assuming the blonde hair didn't come belong to any other member of the crime scene. But even if different hairs share similar characteristics, they might not be from the same person, and this is where hair analysis comes in. Hair can easily be left at a crime scene, it can attach to clothes, carpets, and many other surfaces, and this is called a secondary transfer and secondary transfers are common with animals who are prone to shedding, things like that. Because of the rough outer coating of hair, it doesn't easily decompose at a crime scene, usually allowing it to be analyzed heavily. Tests on hair can provide information like racial background, history of drugs, and the presence of heavy metals and toxins in the body. I already mentioned this, but when the follicle is present, the hair is individual evidence because it has DNA attached. But if the follicle is not present, then hair is considered class evidence. So, now it's time for the fun stuff, how it's analyzed. So, hair consists of two parts, the follicle and the shaft. At the end of the follicle is a network of blood vessels that supply nutrients to feed the hair and help it grow. So. The hair shaft is made of the protein keratin, which is naturally produced in the skin, and keratin is the protein that makes hair strong and very flexible. The hair shaft is made of three layers, an inner medulla, a cortex, and an outer cuticle. The cuticle is a transparent outer layer of the hair shaft. So the hair shaft is the part that you brush. It's like the long part. Um, it is The cuticle is made of scales that overlap one another to protect the inner layers of the hair. When examining a section of hair under a microscope, the direction of the scales can actually show which end of the hair are younger and older. And this information can be used when the hair needs to be tested for toxins and drugs or any metals at any specific point in time. The cortex is the largest part of the hair shaft. The cortex is the part that has the most melanin that gives the hair color. The center of the hair is called the medulla. It can either be a hollow tube or it can be filled with cells. Forensic investigators classify hair into five categories based on the appearance of the medulla. So if you're a bit confused, which I would probably say you are because it's kind of hard to imagine, a good analogy for hair is a pencil. So imagine a pencil. The painted yellow outer exterior is the cuticle. The wood inside under the yellow painted exterior is the cortex while the graphite inside would be the medulla. So medulla is the smallest part on the inside where the cortex is the part that surrounds the medulla and the cuticle is the part that surrounds the cortex. Hair can be found in any shape, length, diameter, color, or texture. The texture may vary from coarse whiskers to fine hair like it is in younger children, and some furs even have two layers, one fine and one coarse. And hair color depends in about the distribution of pigment and on hair dyes that may have been used, and all of this can help in forensic investigations, obviously. So hair doesn't just vary by regions around the globe, but also by regions of your body. So, Forensic scientists distinguish human hair, human hair, not animal hair, with six categories. Head hair, eyebrows and eyelashes, beard or mustache, underarm hair, auxiliary body hair, and pubic hair. So this probably doesn't surprise you at all, but each type of hair has its own set of traits that forensic scientists need to be able to tell apart. One of the ways that these hairs are different is by the cross-sectional shape. Head hair is usually circular at the cross-section, while beard hair tends to be thick and triangular, um, for example. They also have different physical characteristics. Um, Arm and leg hair tend to have blunt tips, and beard hair tends to be coarse with a double medulla. Forensic scientists also observe what stage of life hair is in to gain insight about the owner. Hair goes through three stages as it develops. The first stage, the antigen stage, um, is the stage around 90% of the hair that your head is in. It lasts approximately a 1,000 days, and this is when active growth is happening on the hair. The cantigen stage is the second stage, and that is when the hair starts to change, sometimes turning gray, so don't be worried if you have a few gray hairs, that's natural. Just your hair going through its cycle, its thing. The last stage, the telogen stage, is when the hair follicle turns dormant and this is when the hair falls out. Depending on age and other factors, around 10% of your hair is in this stage. Hair can also be treated in many different ways. If you've bleached your hair, sorry, but it's gonna be very obvious to forensic scientists, um, you know that it removes the pigment and it makes the hair brittle and can disturb the cuticle. These are the types of things that forensic scientists need to look for to figure out if hair belonged to a true blonde or someone who has dyed their hair. Dying hair changes the color of the shaft, and a good forensic scientist can immediately tell if hair is dyed or not. If an entire hair was discovered from a scene, it's even impossible to figure out when the hair was last treated. The region of or near the root is colored naturally, and hair grows at a rate of 1.3 centimeters per month. Measuring the length of the hair that is naturally colored and dividing by 1.3 is a great way to get a reliable estimate, may not be spot on but pretty reliable. This information can be helpful in many different circumstances for forensic scientists as you can differentiate between suspects and it is even one of the many ways to help figure out how long someone has been held captive if they are recovered alive. So, let's say you're an examiner and you're given a piece of hair to analyze. There are many things that you have to consider, such as, is this human hair or animal hair? Or what racial group does this hair stem from? In the case of an animal versus a human, this will be a pretty easy distinction. The pattern of pigmentation, the medullary index, and the cuticle type are all specific to animals. For example, while the pigmentation in a human hair tends to be denser towards the cuticle, the pigmentation in an animal hair tends to be denser towards the medulla pigments are usually found in masses called ovoid bodies, which is an easier way to determine if hair comes from an animal. For the race question, that can be quite difficult and even impossible in some cases. There are very, very broad characteristics of hair for each racial group that can vary in levels of appearance with every person. So I will put a chart on the Google Classroom with some information about this because I think that if I just tried to explain it, it would be super confusing and Not needed. So, some other questions you might ask as a forensic scientist are, how do I even use this in investigation? So, whenever two objects come in contact, some transfer will always occur. Whether it be dirt to your shoes when your foot comes in contact with the dirt, or even just skin cells transferring between hands through a handshake. This principle is called Locard's Exchange Principle. Um, discovered by Edward Locard, and the evidence that transfers from one object to another is called trace evidence. Um, Almost everything in a crime scene is trace evidence. So, hair is trace evidence, unless it comes directly from a person's head, then it is not. When investigators enter a crime scene, they collect trace evidence, including hair. Hair can be collected by plucking, shaking, or scratching surfaces, and if the situation allows it, it can also be taken by placing tape over a surface so that the hair adheres to it, and sometimes a surface may be vacuumed and the contents are searched for hair. But investigators always have to be wary of cross-contamination of evidence, especially if it is if it's as small as hair. Hair that is found is studied macroscopically and microscopically. Macro characteristics include length and color, curliness, but. Microscopic characteristics can reveal a bit more about the hair, including the pattern of the medulla, pigmentation, and types of scales in the cuticle. There are a ton of microscopic techniques that forensic scientists use to make their studies. One of them is called phase contrast microscopy, and it includes using a special lens on a compound microscope. Another involves using a fluorescent microscope, So if a hair sample contains certain chemicals, the fluorescent microscope will make them glow under certain wavelengths, super cool. Another another, um, way that hair can be tested is using an electron microscope. An electron microscope directs a beam of electrons at a sample and provides the most detail possible, magnifying the hair over 50,000 times. So because hair grows out of the skin, Chemicals can be incorporated into the hair. An analyst will dissolve hair in in an organic, that's definitely a tongue twister, in an organic solvent that releases any chemical substances. Um, A forensic chemist can even perform chemical tests to establish a timeline for when exposure to chemicals may have even occurred. This type of analysis is super helpful when it comes to cases involving poisoning and other harmful toxins. Neutron activation analysis, like I mentioned at the case in the very, very beginning, is a useful technique that that can identify up to 14 elements in a single hair. The hair is placed in a high-energy reactor, and it's just bombarded with high-energy neutrons, so different elements in the hair will give off different signals for scientists to detect. I thought that was super cool, if I do say so myself. So hair can be super important and make or break a case, Like I said in the beginning, so as another example, let's talk about the Eva Schoen case in 1990. Eva Schoen was found dead from a single gunshot to her head and the police expected to be able to solve the case using the bullet from her head and a few skilled ballistic experts, but they did not have any good leads from the bullet. Three years later, the police received a call from a man who claimed that his brother, Frank Marquis, was responsible, but they couldn't get a match from Frank's gun to the bullet. When they questioned some of Frank's friends, they found that he had actually thrown two bundles out of his car when he was driving back from Arizona near the time Eva was murdered. The police searched the road um, that he was on until they found the bundles, and one of the bundles contained a single piece of hair that was analyzed, and it matched Eva's hair. When they presented the evidence to Frank, he confessed to the murder. So, as we can see with this case, hair analysis is great information to know and super helpful for a forensic examiner. It's super common in any crime scene, and it may look small, but it's always a big help. So, I know this episode was a ton of information at once, guys, but thanks for sticking around and supporting T.O.P. And on another note, I am hosting a seminar on the basics of forensic science on September 12th, so reserve your spot if you're interested. It's completely free, so reserve your spot at Alive vibe.info that's www.alive.info if you're interested so see you next week and I hope you learn something new